0: Welcome back to Hoopsville. The marathon continues as we enter our fifth hour of the show, four hours down, and we're moving along. If you've got any questions for us, uh, you can tweet us at D3Hoopsville, hashtag Hoopsville. You can email us, Hoopsville, at D3Sports.com. Join us on the Facebook live stream at Facebook.com slash Hoopsville. We're also on the live stream on YouTube uh, doing it as well. Um, It is uh, YouTube.com slash Hoopsville. Uh, We're on Instagram at D3Hoopsville, but honestly, we just promote there. It's a little harder for us to just keep track of things there. Um, switching gears, talking about uh, a men's basketball player at John Jay, who's a sophomore in eligibility, who's also a volunteer firefighter, something that most of his team didn't realize until mid January when he fought a major fire one day and the next day put up a queer night on the basketball court. They figured out what was going on that day of the basketball game when uh, social media found out about his incredibleness. We're going to introduce you to Danny Kenny, uh, Dan Kenny, with a video that John Jay put together and then introduce a segment that we talked to him earlier yesterday due to his schedule and a basketball game tonight about really who he is, what he does, why he's a firefighter and what it means to him, and how he compares it to basketball. A tremendous conversation, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: Dan Kenny can take the heat. In fact, he embraces it. Wednesday, January 12th was lining up to be like any normal day for the sophomore out of Suffern. Then his pager went off and duty called for the volunteer firefighter.
2: I woke up in the morning. It was about, the call came in around 627, I think. So I was still sleeping and then my pager went off and then they said, confirmed structure fire. So then I got out of bed and, uh, it was actually very cold. So I had to scrape some ice off my car, but, uh. We got there pretty quick. We got out the door and we were on our way there when they actually transmitted a second alarm because they knew they had a lot of fire. So we originally went as a FAST team, which is the Firefighter Assist and Search Team. So that goes to every fire. You know, we stand by to make sure if any firefighter goes down, there's a designated team standing there waiting to go to help them get out. So when they transmitted the second alarm, we knew we were going right to work, but we weren't going to be standing there. So that was a, was a hectic thing.
3: Wednesday morning, we were still waiting for his, along with some other guys, test results to come back. So and that's when Dan answered with a text, hey, I'm out of fire. I'm running a little late. I don't think I can get a test this morning. You know, so obviously, I respond be safe, uh, calls me about an hour later. He's like, I am still at this fire. And now I'm thinking, well, good. He's OK, because he's calling me. The fire must be somewhat under control. But if he's still there, things can't be going too well. Um, you know, so practice and our team and all that other stuff, the COVID tests, it falls so far behind. Um, what's really important in, in him being safe at that point in time. But, you know, he's he's a miracle. Like, what he does is unbelievable.
1: Although he has no immediate family connections to the fire department, this is something that Kenny has always dreamed about doing since he was young.
2: The first time, I think, was at my grandparents. I slept over there once, and they had a fireman's parade that went right by their house. And I was standing out there, and, like, I had a little fireman outfit, like, boots on and everything. I just watched him go by. I think that's the earliest memory I have. So I'm in the Tallman Fire Department, it's in Tallman, New York, uh, it's about a 26 uh, square mile jurisdiction, we cover multiple villages in the town of Rampo. Um, I joined when I was 16, they have jun- a junior firefighter program, so it's going to be five years this February.
1: Once the fire was settled, Kenny went back to his busy life as a student athlete, and on Thursday it was game day. He dropped 16 points, 6 rebounds, and 6 blocks in route to John Jay's 111-100 win over the Hunter Hawks.
2: I mean, my team's been working hard. We've been working hard. We didn't play a game for a month after that. You know, we, we were all locked in. We all really wanted to win that game. So, I think it's definitely, it was a team effort all around. You know, even the bench from the coaches to everyone who got on the floor. You know, we all really worked hard and really wanted that win.
1: It's not uncommon for most student athletes to gain workplace experience through internships or volunteer work, but what separates John Jay students is the firsthand experience they receive in the criminal justice world.
2: I think I've met and learned a lot of stuff that I don't even think I even thought I could have learned. Uh, I learned a lot of stuff that I learned in the classroom and I bring it back to my firehouse and I can apply it there. And it's just all like, it's cool when it all comes full cycle you're learning everything in the classroom and then you're going back to the firehouse and then you see it and you do it it's, it's really it's really helpful i like it a lot
3: what's really cool about john jay is they seem to all be doing something for somebody else it's selfless acts um, it's jobs that can save lives um, something that you know was not what i was doing when i was in college um, You know, so it's, it's unbelievable and It's a tribute to the institution, a tribute to what John Jay stands for and how special these kids are. I definitely want to
2: be a career fireman. My goal is for the FDNY, Fire Department in New York City. So after I graduate, I'm going to start that process and try and get into that.
0: Now joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsil Hotline. It is the sophomore we have been talking about. It is Dan Kenny from John Jay. First and foremost, Dan, thanks for taking the time to join us. Really appreciate it. Thanks
4: for having
0: me. Listen, there's, there's always things that student athletes, especially in Division Three, get involved in. I'm not surprised that we have firefighters somewhere else in division three sports. It, it, everyone gets involved in something. Your story is fascinating because you've been doing this for a while. It was part of your roots before you even got to college, can you just give us a little bit of a, of a brief history? We, we heard it in the video, You know, obviously watching firefighters go by wearing your your firefighter outfit, uh, like a lot of young kids do, but I'm curious, how did it then stick from there? Because a lot of kids wear the uniform when they're young, then they kind of decide no longer interested. How did it stay in interest?
2: Um, that's actually a great question. I guess I'm just one of those people You can say like, I stick to a goal. You know, it settles on my mind. I don't know. I just like once I kind of like told my parents and my grandparents, you know, I was into that stuff. They kind of just like helped me surround it. Like even from like buying like toy fire trucks to like watching videos like in the afternoon, just like fire department videos. It was just I was just something that was always around, kind of like my parents always like supported it, and I just stuck with it the whole time. Is there any family
0: connection, or is it or is it solo, kind of just on your own?
2: It's solo on my own. I do have one uncle who is a firefighter paramedic in Florida. Okay. But otherwise than that, it's kind of just a solo thing.
0: Obviously, there's a rich history of fire service around the country. Obviously, in your area, though, it is a very rich and deep history, especially post-9-11, uh, after the attention that 9-11 certainly drew to the firefighters in your region. You, you of course born, I believe, after 9-11, which hurts a little bit here. Um, but that history certainly drives the ship a little bit more, right? Because once, you, once you're once you indoctrinated there, kind of in the firefighting world, you are
2: really in it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a family. It's a brotherhood. I mean, when you join the firehouse, you know, even when you're not there, you know, your friends are firemen, the things you're doing in your off time are either with firemen or kind of fire-related – and it's one of those things where even when you're not at the firehouse, you're still, you still want to do stuff. You know, you're reading articles on your phone, you're watching videos, you're talking to other guys about stuff. I mean, it's like it becomes a lifestyle. Interestingly enough,
0: um, today, as we're recording this, we should point out this is not live on the marathon. Um, Baltimore is mourning the loss of three firefighters in the city. Uh, marrying them to rest so it's very much apropos around here. That danger is certainly there at all times you've experienced it somewhat. Obviously earlier this year you guys had a major fire right before a game we'll get into those details but your department also involved in a major fire a year ago that made national news international news that danger is obviously tricky. How do you, how do you lock it out? I'm always amazed by those who decide, listen, we're walking into that danger. How do you, how do you kind of lock out that danger and focus on the task at hand?
2: Uh, I think the big thing is just kind of, you remind yourself there's, the reason you're doing it is because someone needs your help. You're doing it for other people. You know, you're not, it's not just a, kind of, I don't, I don't know how to word it, but, you're like you're there to help someone like someone asked for your help so you're gonna do what you can to do it and the big thing you know it's just being confident in your skills and relying on your training that's the best thing you can kind of rely on in the end I mean,
0: and you started training as a as a junior firefighter right you what was it we heard in the video like mid-teens
2: uh so I joined the fire department when I was 16 but when I was 12 years old we they uh, my county has a youth academy yep so it's kind of one week out of the year where you got of get to do all the basic stuff and skills to actually get people involved. And I did that every year. And then when I was 16, I joined the actual fire volunteer fire department. And then from there on, I do training every Monday night. And there's also like a lot of training courses along with that. I, I We should point out, you're on
0: the volunteer side. You're not full-time firefighter as of now, right? Yeah, I'm full of volunteer. I'm not paid at all. How does that work? I got a volunteer fire station literally a half a mile from the house. Um, it's, it's a rich part of the county's history. But how does that work as a volunteer? How much of the training is similar to a full-time guy and how much of it is a little bit different? And how do the hours work?
2: I mean, I can't speak for every volunteer fire department, but I know some, they'll have like just shifts of when you volunteer and go to the firehouse. But the way in Rockin County it works is basically you have a pager and when the call goes off, whoever is around and can go just responds to the firehouse. And then as people arrive, you form crews and then you go to the scene.
0: Interesting. So really you could end up with more than you need because everybody's available and there could be times yeah. that maybe you don't have enough.
2: Yeah. And then you got to call another department or something.
0: Just Fascinating. To- yeah. I don't know how it works in Baltimore County. I should certainly know more with a station that close, but I'm always fascinated by the shift work. Obviously stations can call out and all of that stuff and say they're not available. Yeah. I certainly understand that aspect. Well, how tough is it? You're also on what is the response team, correct? You're, you're the one who stands by unless it's a big enough fire in case firefighters are in trouble. Again, apropos to the Baltimore City story and then apropos to a year ago where, where Rockland County lost a firefighter in that nursing home fire. What's it like to just be standing by for the worst case scenario?
2: Um, it's, it's, a, it's a big responsibility, you know, at a fire scene. You know, it's hard because a lot of guys, you know, you're standing around while you're watching other people do all the work, which is kind of hard, but you have to remember why you're there and what you're doing it for. And, you know, a lot of departments do have fast teams. You know, we have one of the most used ones in our town. Hmm. And it's a lot more training. You know, you got to do a lot more specific type of training. We actually went down my department's fast team. We went down to Jersey and Neptune. And we did some training down there with All Hands Fire, and we did like a couple of weeks or so like a bunch of hours, just just different scenarios of firefighters being trapped, like from lowering them, like when the floor collapses, you know, bringing them up with the hose, all the way to you know like a two by two space, a firefighter being trapped and getting them out through a window. So there's all different scenarios we try and practice and mimic, and then just. Try and be as prepared as possible because you never know what's going to happen when that happens. I, I have a
0: friend who just posted on Facebook. He's in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, and he's a volunteer fire department. And then he just talked about a, a flashover that they were dealing with as a fire department. Yeah. Their guys, you know, got safely to some location in the house and then quickly everybody obviously descended on that location. And I immediately thought of you when I right. read about the fast unit. I'm like, oh, okay, that's the unit that's responding because in some yeah. ways, the other firefighters have to keep on their task, right?
2: Yeah. So basically, you know, you have your engine companies who stretch the hose lines and bring the hose to the fire and flow water and put it out. And then you have your ladder companies who ventilate and search for victims. And then, in addition, you have the FAST team who gets there. You know, they get all their tools, they set up in the front of the building, and then they're there and they're designated. They have no other job just for when a firefighter goes down, they're there to go and get them.
0: How much does shows like Chicago FD, Chicago Fire, which I'm a little bit partial to because I grew up in Chicago, but how much of shows like that or the rea- reality shows uh, that show firefighters at work help or hinder what you
2: guys try to do every day? <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> there's, a lot, of, <laughs> a lot of, there's a lot of stuff on that show, on all those shows that really – it's not really the reality of fire. I was going to say,
0: how much can you even watch a Chicago Fire TV show at, without – drama aside, the the the, the whole side story stuff on the side, but the, the actual firefighting stuff. How much do you watch and cringe, and how much do you watch and go, oh, all right, they, they, they got that one?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was like at first, and then when I first started watching the show, I was like into it. You know, I was just starting off in the fire department, and I was like – I started watching more seasons, and I – Got more training in the fire department and got more experience. It was kind of like this isn't re- this isn't real. This is not gonna. Happen. <laughs> yeah, they so would be. was actually pretty funny because sometimes I would watch my mom, and she would like be watching. She's like, "Oh, this is so cool. Do you do this?" And I'm just like, "No, no, no. let's not <laughs> let's talk, talk about, about that.
0: that." Yeah, mean, I, I have a few parts of my life the same. Not not nearly in the in the life and death part of it, but I get what you mean. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about January twelfth. Interesting day here. First off, before I get into that, how much is your team? And and everybody else aware of your firefighting in general? Are are they fully aware that you're a volunteer firefighter? Uh
2: before that day somewhere, yeah. but after I think after Coach Highland's tweet, <laughs> then everyone kind of knew. To I don't really, I, I don't really talk to it like talk about it that much or anything. You know, it's kind of just like what I do when I'm back home. But, well,
0: question there, why why don't you speak on it? Is it just it's part of service?
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's just, like, something I enjoy to do, something like. If someone asks about it, I love to talk about it, but I'm not really, like, just going to, like, out of nowhere just tell someone, hey, I'm, I'm a fa- volunteer. Sure. For <laughs> uh, by the way, how far away is home from John Jay? Uh, it's about 25 miles northwest of, okay. of New York City, so it's a suburb. Right. Rock, Indiana, New York.
0: So you got about a 25,
2: 30-minute drive on yeah. most days from home. no traffic, but when there's traffic.
0: You can- right, right. And yeah, maybe four hours. An hour, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So back to, to the 12th, you got a a, a pager, or according to everything, pager went off, as a video said, around 627 that morning, saying there was a fire. Something must have said in your mind, yeah, I got time to deal with that. Uh, and I'm not trying to make light of it. I'm just saying you had to make the decision to go. Uh, what, what was that decision like? And, and what did, what was it like on the scene?
2: I mean, even during basketball season, it's a tough decision. You know, on the pager goes off, well. it's like, you got to weigh it out, like, two out of time. Yeah, you
0: had a game that practice, day. Practice, yeah.
2: But uh, it was 6.30, so I was like, I should be good. I kind of – you got to think of it. You have, like, five seconds to decide. And then sure. it was actually freezing. It was one of the coldest days of this year. I think it was, like, four degrees that day. Oof. And uh, just got my clothes on, ran downstairs, had to scrape some ice off the front of my car, and then just got in, went to the firehouse,
0: and got my gear on got in the truck
2: and we went down
0: there too bad the cars don't know you got a call coming and be, be a little more prepared uh ice off and warmed up for you yeah. um that was gonna be the other thing there is how many hours do you consider when when your pager goes off how many hours do you kind of say to yourself i'm out for this long i.e you've got practice you've got class you've got a game how much do you need to realize you're dedicating yourself
2: to um so basic calls like a fire alarm or a like, order a gas, I, it's usually, like, I would designate at least, like, 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. By the time you get there, you go, and then you come back, and then you gotta, you have to fill out paperwork sometimes, you gotta clean stuff, so it's at least an hour, but when you have an actual, like, fire, I would say you probably have to designate, like, two, three hours between being on scene and then coming back to the firehouse and cleaning up and stuff. And this one you knew immediately you weren't going to be sitting on the sidelines. No, so it's our neighboring department. It's right down. It's uh, It's like right on the west side of the border. So every time they get a fire and we get a fire, we're dispatched automatically to each other. So usually, like, as the fast team, we know like we're going to be standing there. But when they said that a confirmed fire and a large body of fire in a big commercial building and then they transmitted a second alarm, which brought more units, we knew we were going to to be the first companies outside of them to come on scene. So we knew we were going to go right to work. And then the fasting from the second alarm would be the fasting. Gotcha.
0: After the fire, which, you know, not many people knew about, but somehow coach found out about you had a game. You were just going to kind of roll in, weren't you? Like, no big deal. You know, nothing had happened that day. And coach let the cat out of the bag a bit. And then you go and have a monster game. You got to compartmentalize to some degree, don't you?
2: Yeah, it's, it's, that's probably one of the biggest challenges, you know, flipping switches, you know, going from kind of firefighter to college basketball player back and forth. But I think just the big thing is, is, just being folk, just focusing mentally. I know like, like before the game, you just got to, you know, read over the scale. You just got to kind of just put yourself in that mindset. It's just something you just, you just got to click on. Okay. that's something that's like sometimes hard fun to do, but when it's game time, like you're really not a choice. So you got to do that.
0: When you're on the court, is it, is it your way of being able to kind of let go of everything and, and, you know, get frustrations out or get pressure off or whatever the case may be in regular life in general, but then on top of that, whatever you dealt with firewise earlier that day?
2: Yeah, I mean, basketball has definitely been a good release for me, especially during school, you know. It's kind of when you start playing, you get warmed up, you know. You just kind of don't think about anything else except basketball. So that's what I really love about the sport. But in terms of firefighting, I mean, I can put that aside and then, at the same time, like, I really don't feel, like, any, like, negatives or stress from it, you know. I do it because I enjoy it and I like it a lot. So I wouldn't really say, like, that it relieves me from it. But it's definitely just, like, basketball just kind of puts you in, like, a different
0: mindset and world that, I,
2: that just kind of takes you out of, like, everything
0: else. We should point out the game was 36 hours later. You probably had a practice later. So there was, there was an element there of just kind of going about your business um you guys ended up with a win in that game 111 100 over uh hunter and you had a monster game uh sixteen, points, 16 rebounds uh, the points uh being or i should say the rebounds i think were a career high at the time you, you again just kind of went about your business how is is there a little bit of the firefighting in you on the basketball court in other words it's you just go about your job and and you know what you do well and, and you execute
2: Yeah, I think that's a big thing. You know, our program, you know, we're big, like, blue collar, you know, kind of we're going to be, like, the more gritty. We're going to be the hardworking hard-working team. We're going to win all the 50-50 balls. You know, that's kind of something we have in our program. That's what we play by. And then just having, like, the firefighting, I guess, mindset, you would say, just to add on to that, you know, just doing your job, you know, being disciplined to what the coach says as in if you're following orders and then kind of just having that heart, like, you know, I'm going to do this, like nothing's going to stop me. I think that's plays in both roles.
0: You're a sophomore. I'm not sure with COVID if that means you still do have your two years left to play or yeah. or what the case may be. How much more do you have? and Have you found that this balance works that you can keep going through the rest of your uh, quote-unquote career as a basketball player?
2: Yeah, so I'm a sophomore athletically, but a junior academically. Okay. Yeah. So I still have another two years athletically. I'm not sure what I'm gonna do in terms of the fifth year if I'll do grad school or something like that. But I think it was a challenge in the beginning of the year because it was the first year I like we just I decided I was gonna commute because with COVID and stuff. I didn't really know about getting a, a place to live here. Okay. So it was kind of a worry at first, you know, will I be able to balance it? But I think I've adapted pretty well, you know, with the support of my parents and my coach. I mean, it's just been, I've been able to balance it very well. So,
0: Welcome back. I'll be honest with you, I thought our interview went longer than that. And I just realized it's shorter. I'm not sure if we did a fat finger on an out cue or not, but we got it right. But it was a great conversation with him. And we appreciate the time he gave us. Um, Dan Kenny's a tremendous student. If we have a longer version of that interview that uh eliminated some parts, we'll get to it and we'll uh post that somewhere else. But you got the the gist of it there. And appreciate Dan taking the time to join us, talk about his uh firefighting and, and playing. I did screw up a couple times there, and and I'm sorry, it was more just jumbled in my head. He had the fire on one day, the game was about thirty-six hours later, if memory serves. Um, it wasn't the the same day, and I kept saying that, by and I it wasn't on purpose. I just wasn't thinking. Um, so just to break up some confusion there. Granted, they had practices, and as Coach Ryan said in the video piece, they had COVID testing and other things they were trying to figure out. We're we'll take a break. When we come back, switch gears, talk women's basketball. We will talk to Texas, Trinity Texas women's basketball coach Cameron Hill about his squad, now in the top 25, and so much more. You're listening to Hoops so presented by D3hoops.com from the NABC studios. Thanks to our partners at Blue Frame Technology and the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. Back with more after this.
3: This is why we love sports. It's in the way they play, free from the pressures and all the money talk. Playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports.
5: It's on us. It's on all of us. And it's time to act now.
6: It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault.
7: got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're at
0: D3Hoops.com at www.D3Hoops.com. Welcome back to Hoopsville as we continue along. This guest coming up might have the record for the most appearances on the marathon show when you're outside of D3 sports staff in terms of coaches. just happens a timeout that we, that we end up talking to them at the same time of year. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us Hoopsville at D3Sports.com. Join us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hoops. We're live simulcasting the show. Um, I think that's all the coverage we have. I I can't remember if we have another avenue and I've forgotten about it. We're on YouTube as well, live simulcasting there as well. Uh, Women's basketball Texas is an interesting situation. First and foremost, they've moved regions. They've moved from the South region to Region 10, uh, which puts them now in the SCIAC and Northwest Conference conversation. Certainly changes it up just a wee bit. Uh, on the other side of things, w- women's basketball in Region 10, me- not that men's basketball isn't, but w- women's basketball has been rather uh, rather interesting in Texas. A lot of good teams down there that we've been seeing playing, including last year, because a lot of them played during the COVID, during the COVID, during the pandemic <laughs> shutdown. You know, uh, we're obviously still dealing with it. Well, one of those teams that always captures our attention out of the SCAC, and uh, seems like we always talk to them this time of year. So be it. Out of San Antonio, joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's Cam A- Hill. Cameron Hill, head coach of his alma mater, Trinity Women's Basketball Program. Sir, as always, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it.
8: You bet, man. Glad to be here, Davis. good to see you.
0: Good to see you, uh, even if you're, you're still stuck in baseball mode. Um, that's I've, I've never seen you, like one, more dressed down in my life. Or, I, almost be, put a, I almost
8: put a suit on just for you.
0: That would have been priceless. That would have been priceless. It, it's what I expect.
8: Yeah.
0: Hey, let's talk about the season. 16-2 and two overall. Those two losses came in the opening three games of the season against East Texas Baptists, who got you in overtime by six. You beat Mary Harden baylor and then Harden-Simmons came back and, and got you 65-63 in a span of six days. Listen, yeah. if we're just talking about the season, to some degree, it's, it's kind of those opening three games that really kind of wraps up a little bit about how your season's been this year.
8: Yeah. I mean, when you when you have the freedom to schedule and like you said, have the talent that we have in the state of Texas, you know, those are the games that you have to play with your non-sconf, you know, your non-conference games. And, you know, we're fortunate that those those teams entertain us as well and, and they're just incredible. Even though it's early in the season, it's a great way to kind of set the bar for what you want to accomplish as you move through the rest of the way. And I'm I'm grateful for those relationships. Those teams are great, and, and it's we've been good for each other. I think. Um, again,
0: go, um, you go one and two in those three. I'm kind of curious. Now you played a bit last year, if memory serves, during the pandemic, and so did obviously teams like ETBU and HSU, who tried to play as full a season as they could. Was there an element of just still not being up to speed after a, of a really kind of wonky? Uh, 18 months or was it just that you caught two teams that were playing damn good at that point?
8: Yeah. I mean, you look at it, it's it's everybody's first, first five, five games of the season. And so you're, you're still forming. Um, So great to play that level of competition when you're still really trying to figure out who you really are and who you can become for the year. And I'll be honest with you, man. I mean, I think those two coaches would tell you the same. Those games could have gone either way. You know, they just made plays down the stretch. They were super competitive. Um, That tournament was actually our tournament um we had put it all together to have mary harden east texas and rose come to trinity and play and i found out that uh later obviously that julie jenkins was hosting the SCAC volleyball tournament that same weekend so thankfully mark Morfield had some juice with the mary harden baylor brass and they were able to take that tournament and, and host it um but it's something that we've wanted to do here for a long time is just put together a really good opening season top 25 caliber tournament at Trinity and hopefully it's something we can do in the future but you know everybody in that in that tournament ended one and one and yeah. then we went then we yeah. went straight then we went straight to to Abilene and played Harden Simmons which you know they've been good for a few years now and they they had a really nice game that night and made some timely shots which again that early in the season it's just great experience for you win or lose
0: yeah, that was the quirk of it all was the fact that uh, we were watching it from afar, going, "Okay, okay, so they're one and one. What's the chances they all go one and one? Oh, they're all going one and one. Okay, so they're all they're all going to beat each other up." I forgot yeah. that it was your tournament. It's interesting. I forgot that your your counterpart had something important to do as well. Uh, I, yeah. I know that happens in a lot of uh, athletic arenas. So, uh, thanks for sharing that. Um, all good. You guys then headed out to. Uh, um, to Oregon to play a couple more games in Linfield and Pacific um, out in Forest Grove and to kind of shake things up a little bit because otherwise it's it's mainly a conference in Texas series. What drove you to to head out to, the, uh, to Oregon?
8: Man, it was really just getting late clearance to do out-of-state competition. Um, it was just so much of everything that's happened in the last 24 months has had to do with what you can and can't do based on the status of the pandemic. So, we found out a little later than normal that we were going to be able to take some plane flights. And, you know, I've had a lot of respect for the job they've been doing at Pacific for the last several years. And uh-huh. it's a little different flavor than, than going with the same teams from that area all the time. So it was a good change up for us and they hosted a great event. Um, and we, we really enjoyed the trip. And it was really good to just kind of have the flexibility to get back on a plane and go travel the country a little bit with our girls. And, you know, that's a big part of the experience for them. And, it was great. It was, a, And, you know, we ended up winning both of those games, you know, competitive games, and it was ended up being a really good trip for us. Uh,
0: not that it would relate because last-minute travel, as you said, uh, we'd love to get you in Vegas, just saying.
8: Indeed. I mean we'll – We'll put that in pencil.
0: You should. You should. Yeah. It should be fun. Bring both programs. It should be great. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, since that loss to Arden Simmons, you've been rolling along um, as a – unofficial top 25 voter in the women's poll, meaning I'm I'm keeping track of things in case I'm ever asked to come in and vote. I've taken note that, you know, you've gotten some repeat games here against some tough opponents and you've had some tough opponents in terms of who they are. St. Thomas, Texas has come in kind of with their hair on fire in division three. You had a good one with them, but yet you held them down to 79 51. I took notice of that. I noticed other games and obviously you'll get these games back to some degree, how how's the season outside of that opening three? How's it gone from your perspective? Because I feel like the opening three kind of pushed every pushed you down below the radar for everybody.
8: You know, I, which is it, it's interesting. I mean, that's fine if you're just looking at the numbers, but if you look at the games and the level of play, man, win or lose, those teams are all really good. And I mean, I think that what we've been able to do from that point on is an indication of what this team is capable of. But really, Dave, I mean, with the way things have been the inconsistencies in who might or might not be available per night per team. We have literally taken the approach that we're not preparing for the team that this may be we're preparing for the team that we need them to be. And we need every team to be a team that helps us on our path. So, you know, that's kind of been the the mentality of, of Joe and I and the way that we've prepared the girls for each opponent. And it's not about, are they ranked? Are they good? Are they bad? Who are they? Whatever. It's about, you know, how can we utilize this next game, regardless of who we have available, regardless of who they have available, to continue to make progress on on this season's journey? And that has worked out well for us so far.
0: Actually led by a couple of juniors and Maggie Shipley and, and Ashlyn Milton, who I feel like we've talked about it many a time. Shipley, 16 points a game. She's pulling in five rebounds a game. Um stealing a half per game, Milton, 14 and a half points a game, nearly four rebounds a game, by the way, Shipley's two and a half assists on top of that. And then you got a car of seniors there in Haley Coleman at 12 points a game and Carly Young at nine points a game. Uh, we also don't want to forget Kelly Simmons, who's contributing certainly and, and Julie Ackerman, but really Shipley and Milton and really Coleman, those are your three big weapons and it's interesting when you look at further stats, they shoot incredibly well, except for Shipley beyond the arc and from the free throw line. Otherwise, those three are tough to stop.
8: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a blessing to have more than one option on any given night where we can, you know, look at where our big advantage is to kind of use that to knock the dominoes down behind it. Um, and those three players, for as much as they've accomplished as individuals, three of the most unselfish kids we've ever had here, I mean, willing Passers, absolutely great team defenders, and more importantly than all of it, I think completely bought into what we're trying to accomplish as a group. And when you have players that make everyone on the floor better, you you have something special. And I think those are three really good examples. I could talk about the whole team though, um, but I know those are the stat stuffers, and they're the ones that you know typically stand out. But you know they've done an incredible job this year on both sides of the ball to not just score it and not just get stops, but keep the level of intensity really high for us. Um, there aren't many possessions when we're not competing at a high level. So that's, that's been a really good thing. 11 players have played in 10 or more of the 18 games. Nine of
0: them have played in 15 or more. Has that been because you've got the depth or has that been a little bit because you've got to deal with injuries slash COVID issues that have cropped up for everyone?
8: Yeah, I would call it both. I mean, lucky to have the depth to absorb those type of situations that are literally, they're just popping up as circumstance. Um, You know, our philosophy for the 10 years that I've been here has been try to keep everybody progressing at the same pace, because you never know. You know, we try to have three teams in practice when we have the bodies to do so, so that everybody's getting equal reps every day. Because like you said, situations that we're dealing with right now, you're going to need people that they're going to need to know what to do and our players really have anyone that's been called upon to step in and really step up they've been they've been able to do it and with complete buy-in from their teammates which is another thing that i think is pretty special but yeah it's it's treacherous man we've had some injuries and we've had COVID throughout the whole program so it hasn't been easy
0: tell me a little bit about this SCAC conference because when you look at the standings you can come away a little confused you and, and Texas Luther are the only ones with above 500 records overall. 16-2 and two for yourselves, 11-6 for, for Texas Lou. Uh, Schreiner, Austin, and Colorado College are third, fourth, and fifth in the conference, respectively, with below 500 records. And S- Southwestern's are at 500. Again, I, I made a comment about Tex- St. Thomas, Texas, came in with their head on fire, but they're 4-11 and 11 this season. It feels like I've, I don't know the SCAC this year. I, I felt like I thought I knew it coming into the year but i look at the standings and every week i i feel even more bewildered at because of what i don't know tell me what's going on the SCAC. is it just kind of a a weird bump in the road that we don't have as many teams as competitive as we're used to
8: yeah i really i I think that i would say the exact same thing that you just said in terms of coming into the season and trying to prepare for what you would expect to be versus what has ultimately turned out to be um Having said that, I still think that on any given night, these teams are capable of coming in and, and winning a game. Um, you know, I know a couple of these schools, Colorado in particular, has played an incredibly difficult schedule. So hats off to that. Um, you know, these other programs are, you just don't know. It's not fair for anybody to try to project what they may have been going through. Um, I can only speak for our program, and I know that we've had challenges, both internal and external, and those manifest themselves differently for every program. So I know. Personally, all of the coaches in our league care a great deal about their programs and they try to work as hard as they can to to stay competitive. I just think it's been an incredibly difficult environment. And, you know, perhaps some of the schools in our league have have had to deal with more things than people know about. Um, But in the end, you know, a lot of conferences do this over over the course of a four or five, six year period. And, you know, I feel like we'll be back and we'll have teams competing for NCAA playoff positions again. Um, but I just think we just kind of need to weather the storm for this, the ending, hopefully ending segment of, of this pandemic situation.
0: Yeah. Knock on wood. Certainly. Um, you're in your 10th season overall, and really you look back, it's been consistent to say the least. Um uh, just doing quick one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah. I thought so outside of your, uh, really you've been. 20 plus wins a season, not counting last year, every single season you've been there. What is it? What, how have you been so successful and consistently good across the board when that wasn't seemingly a Trinity thing prior to your arrival?
8: We work hard, you know, uh, there's a relentless pursuit of the next great thing, you know, and I think Trinity sets that standard as a university. Um, and, and it attracts very competitive, highly capable people. And I think our program has benefited from that a great deal. Um, this work is what I've done my entire life. It's just, I love it. You know, I love it. And I feel like every single year you get a new team, it's a brand new opportunity. There's no, there's no, you know, rebuilding something that hasn't completely been built yet. I feel like no matter how much success we have at Trinity, we're constantly building towards the next season. And, you know, that part is really fun. And it it makes it feel like a brand new job every single year. So saying that I've been here for 10 years is kind of like what what is going on? It doesn't feel that way at all. It just feels like we're having a really good experience with this group this season. And we're going to approach it the exact same way next season. The funny thing, though, Dave, is like the first few years I was here, I was so excited to go kind of like flex our muscles against higher teams, you know, Division Two or NAI or Division One. And you know, you, you start to learn the scheduling protocols as a division three institution, that really hurts you. So learning by about year four and five, you know, you really do need to pay attention to the regional rankings and what's expected of you if you want to be taken seriously as a as an NCAA contributor. And that shift has really helped us um, to really kind of like top 25 division three schools are who we want to play when we have the freedom to choose. And that's what we've been doing. And I think that's also helped bolster our program because when you get out there in the world and play the good teams, people recognize you more. So, Sure.
0: Yeah, it makes total sense. So, to yeah. that point, I know you guys haven't gotten as far as you've wanted to postseason-wise, that, that you haven't been able to get over the hump, as it were, and make a big splash in the tournament. What is that next evolutionary step for you, other than obviously trying to avoid Texas schools in the opening weekend, if at all possible? But that knowing that's a hurdle you're going to have to face, What how do you take the next move to become that program that we start considering will always be there the second weekend?
8: Yeah, it's 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 tough. I mean, we're a victim of circumstance being where we are ge- geographically. So, you know, J- Jimmy and I were having this conversation just the other day about how fun it would be to all of a sudden just get plucked and thrown into a completely different part of the country where you get to play teams that aren't going to be as familiar with you and you're not going to be as familiar with them. So the chess match becomes a lot more interesting. You know, getting out of this region – particularly with what we're going to have to do traditionally in, in, in playing another Texas school. It's just, you know, it's like playing one-on-one with your brother in the front yard. You just, it could go either way. And I really feel that way about the NCAA tournament in general. Um, You know, since I was little, everybody cheers for the underdog to win a national championship is really hard and it, it takes a lot of luck and it takes a good draw and it takes staying healthy and it takes a lot of things. And, to answer your question is yes, that's a goal for us. No question about it. When you get into the tournament, you want to win. You want to you want to go as far as you can. But I'm a lot I'm a lot happier with, like you said, the consistency we've been able to put forth in our program over the last ten years, with or without you know the stuff that comes with the NCAA stuff. It's uh, it's it's more important to me to be the standard that we've created here year in and year out, and be a threat to make that run. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't. You know, we're going to still be there um, in the years to come.
0: Kind of curious, a little off the wall, put you on the spot a bit. You mentioned Jimmy. Jimmy Smith took over for Pat Cunningham on the men's side of things. You're a grad of Trinity. You played for that men's program, uh, graduated in 99. Did you have any interest? Did you Did you think about applying? And I don't know any of these answers, so I'm firing uh, into, the, into the darkness, as it were. But did you have a thought of, of switching over to the men's side and taking over?
8: No, sir. Yeah. No. I mean, obviously that's a, that's a, a question that was asked and, you sure. know, from people that want not necessarily. <laughs> sure yeah. But no, it's, um, this is special. You know, this, this, this thing that we're doing on the women's side here at Trinity is, uh, is a very meaningful thing. And, you know, it, it would have to be a remarkable opportunity for me. And it would also have to really align with what my goals are as a family man to make it to make any change. Trinity has been incredibly supportive of me and our players. Like I I would not have been able to go to practice if that would have happened. Uh, There would have been, you know, a lot of, a lot of angry female players in in that just, it never crossed my mind to be honest with you. And uh, in, in in a great way, because I feel like, you know, Coach Cunningham's a legend. There, there's no getting around that. He's a D3 legend. And, and this shift took place here. And you can look at the direction the program is headed now. And I know Jimmy's doing he's doing an incredible job. And the energy in the gym is is really high. And, you know, I feel like it's a really good synergy between the two programs. So th- they definitely got it right. And, and I'm happy right where I'm at. But I appreciate you asking. No, I'm totally curious. I'm not surprised
0: with what you said at all. I'm not surprised you decided you didn't want the gig. I was just curious. Obviously, they're going to ask you. That's crazy. If they were, they'd be it'd be malpractice not to ask you. But at the same time, I, I totally get your perspective, and I appreciate you sharing it. Ah, uh, listen, yeah. could talk to you forever, but I got to let you go. You got better things to do than sit here looking at me wearing a Giants hat, which just throws me, man. Yeah. Um, but uh, nonetheless, I appreciate the time you gave us, and and I always enjoy chatting with you. We got to get you on another time. Uh, and and just shoot the breeze with you but as always we give the coach the final word any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in
8: no just thank you again dave i you know this is i say it every time this is a great platform for division three and you guys are such great advocates for our level and the work you do is certainly not taken for granted by pretty much everybody that i speak to in, in the business so keep doing great work man stay safe it's great to see you and thanks for the opportunity
0: well, thanks. I appreciate that. You take care of yourself. You see Pat, tell him I said hi, which reminds me, I got to text him. Uh, and uh, I'll look forward to catching up down the road. Tell Jimmy we said hi as well.
8: You got it, Dave. Thanks, man.
0: Absolutely. Cameron Hill joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline again, Trinity, Texas, having a solid season, 16-0, 9-0, 16-2, 9-0 in conference play. Got Centenary, Austin, Schreiner, Texas Lutheran, Southwestern all coming up at home. They'll finish the last two on the road. Forgot to ask him about that, but that's a quirk of the schedule they'll probably take full advantage of that. Back with more on Hoops. When we come back, we jump up to upstate New York, talk to Nazareth men's basketball senior Stephen Galen about his program. You're listening to Hoops, presented by D3Hoops.com from the NABC Studios. More when we come back on the Marathon.
8: Great moments are born from great opportunity. That's what you have here tonight what you've earned here tonight This is your
3: time Now go out there and take it
7: We've got more schools than Division 1, more fans than Division 2, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games leading to two national championships. And we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin. Nobody covers Division III basketball like we do. We're D3Hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com.
6: For the love of the game. But for those of us who are Division III student-athletes, it's more than that, a lot more.
9: Sure, the game is important. But as we work so hard to build both mind and body, it's more about team.
6: That is why NCAA Division III teamed up with Special Olympics. And in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world.
9: Help us keep
0: that dream alive.
6: You can make a difference.
0: Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. As we continue on this marathon, uh, we are nearly to the completion of our fifth five hours of, of broadcasting. We're about halfway through. Um, we are gonna. We got guests booked up until 8 o'clock. And then it's a free-for-all with whoever we've invited who wants to join us for an hour to chat D3. Don't forget, coming up, Louise McCleary will join us, talk uh, D3 with her. She's the interim vice president for Division 3 We'll talk to her coming up. We still have a great conversation with Jim Haney to come, head of officiating. Fred Rogan will talk Skyak and other things. Gordon Mann, Scott Peterson will talk women's top 25. And Dave Hickson. From our Amherst Coast will join us as well. Uh, We're going from Texas to upstate New York, western New York, something like that, talking Nazareth men's basketball. This is that team that keeps coming up in conversation because we've had this ongoing circular conversation between Oswego, Nazareth, and RPI because they've all beaten each other, which doesn't help us voters when we're trying to figure things out. But Nazareth certainly shining uh, shining bright this season with a tremendous season. Keith Broderick's squad is playing very well. Uh, to talk more about it and understand the team just a tad bit, we uh, got asked to talk to a senior there, which is always fun to do. We're talking to uh, one of their senior leaders, Stephen Gable, joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Stephen, thanks for taking the time. Really appreciate it.
9: Yeah, thanks for having me, Dave.
0: Absolutely. Um, from from a senior's perspective, from a student's perspective, we see the hard numbers. We see you guys are off to a, a, good, a darn good start to the season. Start. We're well past that point. You're undefeated in conference play. But from your perspective, how's the season going?
9: I mean, season's been awesome. You know, a 17-1 and record. Um, it's tough to do. Not a lot of teams have done it. Um, we're playing at a high level of ball right now. So um, we're, we're really liking how we're playing.
0: I, I know it's tough because last year didn't really get a chance to play. You guys get parked. Obviously, things came to a, an abrupt end. Even at the end of the previous season, even if you weren't playing, your academic life came to an abrupt end. And then last year happened, and then this year, and you've been through the rigors of this year. I'm curious from your perspective, how challenging has the last nearly two years been as an athlete and as a a student?
9: Yeah, well, last year we actually got some games in. We got 10 or 11 games in. We got to play some conference games, which was awesome. Um, This year it kind of got back to to some normality, Um, so that's been awesome. But um, just throughout, we've um, gotten better in the off season and use that time wisely to get better as a team, as a unit.
0: When you, when you have your academics up in the air, you don't know if you're going to be on campus. If you don't know if you're going to be uh, virtual, really you got games in, but you're not sure how many you're going to play. You're not sure when you're going to play those games, all that stuff. How adaptable have you learned to become if you weren't adaptable to begin with in the first place?
9: Yeah. You know, there's a lot, a lot of time on your hands, especially during COVID Um, A lot of downtime. It's just how you use that time, Um, whether it's in the gym, whether it's at home, getting home workouts in. Um, Then with the school part, you know, learning from uh, learning from home, learning from at school. um, That was a lot of a big learning curve for us, too.
0: Yeah. On top of trying to do everything else you want to do in life. I'm curious. I haven't asked any of the other student athletes this, but I'll ask you this. One thing that I noticed was some numbers seem to be down overall free throw percentages for a lot of student athletes. Uh, I heard a lot of coaches talk about the preseason chase. You know, we've lost some of our fundamentals because the guys, either and gals couldn't go out and play like they normally could, or they went and uh, were playing so much pickup with friends just to, to unwind that they kind of forgot what we want them to focus on. Did did you develop bad habits in this time frame between two normal seasons?
9: And I think a little bit of yeah, a little bit of yes, a little bit of no. Okay. For for a, for a long time, you know, there was no gyms open. You couldn't really go play pickup. But then, um, as stuff started opening up, you know, the pickups started to pick up, and um, we started getting in the gym, playing with each other. We've got a lot of guys that are that are local, and um, that really helps out being able to play with your teammates in the off season.
0: Oh yeah, I can I can imagine that though. I'm sure Coach would love to be managing those games instead, and in whatever he gets. When you guys walk in the door on October 15th, might be a completely different conversation. Yeah. You So you played last year, I get that, but you haven't had a full season in two years. Are you still trying to adjust to that, to the grind of what is a normal season versus what you got last year?
9: Uh, in a way, yes. But, you know, once you start getting going, it sort of comes back to you. And um, We've been doing this for a while. A lot of us, we have a lot of upperclassmen. So once, once it um, starts getting going again, uh, we start figuring it out.
0: Yeah, no, that is certainly the case. I wouldn't expect anything else. Uh, tell me a little about this team. Tell me what's working so well this season that has you at 17 wins, has you undefeated in conference play as we turn into February and staring down, uh, you know, conference postseason and maybe tournament play in the in the NCAAs.
9: You know, so early we, we took our one loss to RPI and we sort of reflected and said, hey, what, what can we do better? Um, we started, sort of looked at our defense and said, hey, we need to get, more physical defensively, rebound a little bit stronger, and that's sort of what we've done. We've sort of um, really dialed in on our defensive intensity and crawling in guys, and um, that's what we've done, and it's worked out well for us.
0: How do you have those conversations? Are they hard conversations? Are they abrupt conversations? Are they during the practice when when you're you know working your butts off, and you and you might get short with one another, or is it during Chuck Talk or during video sessions when? It's a little bit more subdued. Where where do those kinds of conversations take place and how do they take place?
9: I think it's little by little. You know, we'll watch film and then we'll go to practice, work on something, repeat, repeat that. So, you know, I think it's been working out for us well, just watching film, just dissecting what we need to get better at and then sort of executing it in practice.
0: Um, looking at the statistics from the season, you guys are certainly obviously doing well Considering you're outscoring your opponents by 14-plus points a game, out-rebounding your opponents solidly, you're shooting incredibly well at 46% as a team, 36% from beyond the arc, and you distribute the ball extremely well. Um, What jumps out at me is you've got four guys in double figures, and with a fifth lurking, you're leading the team at 18 points a game, seven rebounds a game, which is second on the team. Uh, You've got the second-highest assists on top of that. How how do you guys work distributing the ball as much as you do to let everybody score without it at some point going to one partic- particular person? How does the mentality work to always make sure you're looking for the open or the next guy or the, or the other guy?
9: You know, we're a very unselfish group. You know, we celebrate each other's success. We don't really care who's going to go out there and score the 22, 25 points. You know, we've had multiple games where, where different guys are scoring in abundance. So, um, you know, we're just getting to our spots and just playing ball. We pride ourselves on just playing basketball and um, getting to our spots, making the right fundamental place.
0: You guys have also played a lot of players on the bench. Maybe not all of them score, but they certainly have a yeah. role. I assume everyone has to check the ego at the door to some degree, right? Because someone's going to get playing time but not the glory, and someone's going to get the glory and maybe – Somebody else is going to get neither. you got to adjust to what you get in front of you.
9: Yeah, we, we have a handful of guys who can play a lot of minutes. But, you know, we also have a lot of guys who are very capable of, of playing the minutes they deserve. But, um, yeah, we, we try to play everybody in almost every game, and it helps us in the long run. You know, late second halves, we got the legs. Um, when we're playing a lot of guys, it's the wear-down effect.
0: You have a lot of games that are out of touch by the time you get to the second half. You have some games that are within 10 points, but you know, you go through the schedule and there's a lot of games where you guys have dominated. What's I've never asked this to somebody. I'm kind of curious when you're late in the game and you're in control, how hard is it to still stay on task with what you need to be doing? So bad habits don't show up.
9: Yeah, that, that comes up. You know, we just try not to be complacent. Um, when we're up, we want to keep keep our foot on the gas keep going at them, you know, the teams that kind of fall off or the teams teams that aren't peaking at the right time. So, you know, we want to get better, whether it's for the full 40 minutes. So when the end of the season comes, we're ready for, you know, maybe a comeback or something like that.
0: You're in a safe space here. Uh, It's just really you and me. I don't think there's anybody else. You can tell us the truth. What's it like to coach or to play for coach Keith Broderick?
9: Oh, he's great. He's intense. You got got to love a guy that's intense and that passionate for basketball. You know, he's awesome. He's awesome with all the guys on and off the court, the academic standpoint, he's helped me, helped me greatly. And even in the basketball, um, he's helped me greatly as well.
0: Uh, conference play, you've got Sage ahead of you tomorrow and then Hartwick the following day. You've got a bit of a grind here, to be honest. You're going to play seven games between now and the 19th of, of February. How do you pace yourself? How do you make sure you don't overtax yourself so you're ready for conference tournament time?
9: I don't really think pacing ourselves is is on our mind. You know, we just like to go out, play as hard as we can every night. So you can't take anyone lightly, especially in this league and any any basketball. Anyone can have a have a great game, um, so we're just going to go out and play our hardest every time we get out there.
0: What drew you to Nazareth? What what brought you to that institution versus any others you might have been looking at?
9: I'd say the culture, the atmosphere. You know, it's just such a, a family based um, culture, team wise. Um, the students are awesome locations. Great. And then, um, coach Breyer's just a great coach as well.
0: Well, I mean, he's maybe in the room. That's why you're saying that. You can tell us the truth, you know, you're allowed. We, we, we accept the truth on the show. Um, you notice you're from fair uh, Victor, New York. I apologize. So how far away is that from home? Uh, About
9: 15 minutes. Okay. So So it is close. That's
0: what I thought it was. Uh, A lot of schools in the vicinity as well. So I assume there's, there's, Rivals or or friends or whatever on other teams that you you might face from time to time?
9: Oh, yeah, I've had there was actually six of um, my high school teammates went on to play Division three basketball, a bunch local U of R Hobart um, guy plays in our conference over at Houghton. So I see them a bunch and it's cool to be able to um, play those guys that you played that you played with in high school.
0: Got to be cool to see him, but what's it like to face him after being teammates with him for so long? To now have him as uh, as the foe, as it were.
9: Uh, I think it it helps a little bit. You sort of know some of their moves, some of their style of plays, um, but it's just fun to be on the same court with them again. Yeah, be able to with them. I'm sure kind it is. Like back then, what's uh,
0: what's the message in the locker room as you get into this last bit of the grind in the conference play and head into the end of February? What what's the message? For you? whether you as a senior leader or from coaching staff to everybody.
9: It's just not to be complacent. You know, we got to keep going out, keep getting better every day in practice. Every game we got to get better because, you know, we want to be peaking at the right time. It really matters at the end of the season um, to be be peaking and playing your best ball.
0: Nazareth now in the top 25, sitting in that 25 spot. Uh, It's got a great history. We talked earlier on the show about Jeff Van Gundy and his relationship to another guest of ours. Um, obviously Bill Nelson used to be there. He went down to Hopkins. There's a great coaching tree there. Coach, Coach Broderick's been a part of that. What's it like to play with the Nazareth history and how much do you appreciate that history? Maybe as you get older with the system versus when you first come in.
9: Yeah, there's, there's a rich history here. You know, Van Gundy's played a huge part in, um, our success, you know, he'll, he'll Texas call us. Um, he came in a couple of years ago and, um, sort of gave us some words of wisdom, which helped us, um, throughout the pandemic. And um, he's been a huge part in our success.
0: That's cool. That's really cool. Hey, listen, I appreciate the time. I know you got better things to do, like, oh, I don't know, academics. By the way, I did, forgot to ask you, what's your major and, and what are you hoping to do with it?
9: I'm uh, communications and media, I'm trying to get into um, some kind of medical sales. After.
0: Interesting. All right. That's that's switching it up a little bit, but I like it. Well, congratulations. By the way, enjoy the weather. I, I, I saw the storm coming for you guys. Yeah,
9: and- We're supposed to get, I think, 15, 16 inches tonight over the night yeah that's nothing (laughs) new to us though
0: yeah i gotta say for you guys that ain't nothing right hey well i appreciate the time we always have a tradition on the show we give the guests the final word any final thoughts you want to share with those who might be tuned in yeah
9: i just want to say thank you dave for all you do for d3 d3 hoops and i really appreciate it over here at nazareth
0: oh thanks i appreciate that very kind of you good luck the rest of the way looking forward to seeing how you guys play this one out and uh we'll look forward to maybe catching up with you down the road
9: awesome thank you
0: absolutely steven gable joining us on the blue frame technology hoops hotline again they have sage and hartwick this weekend though we just mentioned they got a big storm coming we'll see how this impacts things sage's got to come all the way over from albany uh hartwick's got to come out from southern new york uh down near the pa line we'll see how it all plays out but thanks to him for taking the time we'll take a break when we come back luis mccleary former division three basketball player and now Vice President for Division Three on an interim basis joins us to talk D3. You're listening to Show, presented by D3Hoops.com. Back with more on the marathon after this.
6: The Division III teamed up with Special Olympics and in giving the gift of sport to those for whom it seemed an impossible dream, we are working to make this a better world.
9: Help us keep that dream alive.
6: You can make a difference.
3: I did receive a non-athletic scholarship upon entering uh, school.
6: I got the Presidential Scholarship which was huge for me.
9: I think there's more opportunities for academic scholarships in Division III.
6: I didn't receive academic scholarships. Just being involved on campus, being a leader, all those things combined kind of get me recognized. It's a great experience for me.
7: We've got more schools than Division I, more fans than Division II, and more upsets than March Madness. There's 800 programs with over 11,000 games, leading to two national championships and we've been covering it all for over a decade. From Eastern to Occidental, from Puget Sound to Piedmont, from Southwestern to the University of New England, and from Hope to Calvin, nobody covers Division Three basketball like we do. We're at d3hoops.com at www.d3hoops.com.
4: Football has taught me a lot throughout my life. It's definitely had a huge imprint on who I am as a person competing at a Division III level, created that opportunity for me to go to college. Not only was I the first one in my family to graduate college, but I was really the first one to even go. Being the first one, I'm breaking that cycle and and now that I've graduated, I'm not sure what's the next step, but I know I have a lot of doors open, and a lot of those are open because I played football and ran track here at Otterbein. It's on us to stop sexual assault. In any way that we can.
3: There are over 480,000 college athletes. Only 2% would go pro. That means over 470,000 will not get a shoe contract. No autographs. No private jets. No fan clubs. No Hall of Fame inductions. Instead, they will walk away with something much more valuable. We'll be right
5: There
0: we go. We're back on the show. Marathon. I mean, it's a solo show here. We'd love to get our son involved yet, but we haven't figured out how to solve the problems that he was running. Not that he was the problems. He he just, we couldn't get everything to run right. Uh, Starting our sixth hour here. For anybody who's counting at home. Yeah, we're crazy. We love it. Uh, You're listening to Hoopsville Marathon. Thanks for tuning in. If you got questions for us, tweet us at D3 Hoopsville or hashtag Hoopsville. Email us hoopsville at D3sports.com. It's all scrolling at the bottom of your screen. We're also simulcasting on YouTube and on Facebook, though, no questions there as of now, but we appreciate you tuning in. All right, switch gears. We also have a lot of fun doing this. We sometimes get a bit of a state of D3 because our marathon tends to come after the convention. And after the convention, we get a little bit of chat of what's going on in the bigger picture in Division three and what do we expect and how should we expect it. And, oh, my goodness, the goose goes on and on and on. And it can get complicated in some years. It gets really easy. I think this year it might be just a tad bit complicated. And we have not had a chance to do this before because it's usually been Dan Dutcher, but he retired. Damn him. But joining us is a former student athlete of Division Three, which I didn't realize fully until a few days ago. Luis McCleary joins us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Luis, I'm going to try and get a little of this right. I'm not going to get it all right because I didn't open the email in time. You played <laughs> women's basketball at Wellesley, which is good. It wasn't men's basketball because that'd be a weird thing at Wellesley. Um, you then went into, well, you were at Elms at one point, you were at Vassar at one point. I know I got the order there wrong. And I think I'm missing somewhere else before ending up at division three. So it was Vassar, then Elms, and then division three. Um, I have some of that right, right? So you you truly have always had division three in the core of your body.
10: Dave, first, let me say it's a pleasure to be, I've listened to your show, but I've never been part of it. Um, You did pretty well. That's correct. Uh, Wellesley Women's College. I played there in the mid-80s. And then from there, my first stint that you skipped over was at Tri-State, which is now Trine university I knew I was missing one important one. And when I started there, they were uh, NAI. I, I, um, I was a basketball player in college. I also played volleyball and lacrosse but my love was basketball. So I did some coaching when I was at Tri-State and that was a lot of fun. I was assistant women's basketball. Uh, We got to host the NAI national championship for back-to-back years. So um, this is special for me to be on your show because I love basketball. But after uh, Tri-State, I went over to Vassar. I went purely into administration, had five great years there, and then spent 10 years at Elms College as the athletics director before I came to the national office a decade ago. Um, and you're right, uh, darn Dan for, uh, for retiring, but he put in uh, just under 35 years. Um, but I had uh, such a good time working with him for nine years out of my 10 that I've spent at the national office.
0: Let's be honest, and it's, this is no reflection on anybody at all, but Dan timed that damn well. He got out of Dodge just at the right time before things really got airy. Though, at the same time, that's also when you want that kind of leadership. Though I know you're probably leaning on him behind the scenes. I remember when I saw the announcement that Dan was retiring, my first thought was, okay, Luis is the next VP. This This is a slam dunk. To some degree, Luis, I'm a little surprised. Why are you still
10: interim VP? That's right. So that's a great question, Dave. You know, there are four interim vice presidents at the national office right now. President Emeritt has been very, very consistent. He's been transparent both with our division as well as those four interim BPs that really he was waiting for the association to vote on the constitution at the convention that occurred two weeks ago, that has happened. Um, And what he has always said is now I will start to really look at my senior cabinet and start to backfill some of those positions. So I would anticipate something happening in, in the coming weeks or months uh, regarding those positions.
0: So I was under the impression that Dan was the only VP that had left. And, and admittedly, I, I I can only follow D1. I mean, at D3, I, I can. Don't ask me to get involved with more than I need to at the regular national level. And I get involved with too much of it to begin with. So I didn't realize there were that many interim levels that are interim VPs up, up there. So that makes a lot of sense then. Yeah,
10: that's oh, right. So yeah. I have not been by myself. No. Um, but but we've all worked really hard together. Um, I have really enjoyed my time as the interim VP. Would love to continue leading the division, but have to say thanks to my colleagues, both in governance, AMA, championships, like what you do, what everybody does in our campuses and in our conferences. We really work together um, to serve our membership.
0: Well, yeah, and, and I've always known you for a long time and, and it's been fun. You've even... To be blunt, set me straight. And I mean that in a good way. You're like, no, Dave, this is how. Oh, okay, thank you, Luis. I appreciate that. But because of your knowledge and your and your experience, of course, uh, along the way. And so I appreciate the time you're giving us here. Um, State of D 3 is rather interesting right now, Luis. Let's be honest. The Constitution was, was wide open. We had a fascinating panel before uh, the convention talking about all the constitutional and legislative me- items out there and we still probably didn't give it enough justice. First and foremost, from a constitutional perspective, it passed 80%. I have not double-checked the D3 numbers, but how did D3 respond on that vote in terms of support or no
5: support?
10: Yeah, that's a great question. So I did check the numbers um, because I was curious, because we heard a lot of really good feedback from our membership and some concerns about it. Yes, um, and in the end, 70% of our membership voted for it. So it wasn't the 80% that we saw in the association-wide, but 70% is a good solid majority that got behind the Constitution. Um, and I think what Division Three, what I saw at convention, we had a hybrid convention, we had some in person, some participated uh, virtually, is that they're ready to say, okay, that's our new constitution. What's now going, what's gonna happen for division three? What can we look at? And really with this idea, how do we make our division even better? How do we continue to serve our student athletes? How can we, even though we're different, our institutions are different across the 432 that we have, but there's this common thread of wanting to collaborate, work together and provide the best possible opportunities obviously in championships, but also with all of our programming and our initiatives, all those other things that go into the student athlete experience. And so what we saw at convention, we just started to sort of scratch what's next at our issues forum. And so we had our delegates, both virtually and in person, talk about four key areas, budgeting, what should we do with our budget? Right now, we have a policy that about 75% of our annual, reven- or our annual revenue goes to championships, 25% to non-championships. Is that the right percentage? So we got some feedback around that. Then we talked about championships enhancements. What could we do to make that experience even better? We asked our, uh, the issues forum, uh, those participating, also about legislative concepts. What's working? What what areas are causing tension on your campus? And then the last area was around membership standards. Are are those right? Do we, are we asking the membership for the right things in terms of requirements? And so that's hard to do in a two hour segment. Um, So what we're gonna do, Dave, is we're gonna follow that up with a membership survey that we're gonna send out early next week. It will go to every institution, every conference office There's one response per institution and per conference. And that survey asks very similar questions, but it gets even more detailed. And so we'll get that information back. We'll, we'll insert it right into our governance structure. All the great committees that we have, they'll really be able to look at it. And then as needed, they'll forward recommendations to management council and president's council to either say, maybe this policy needs to change, or maybe we need to put legislation before the entire membership to vote on in 2023. So while I think our membership maybe was less excited about talking about the new constitution, I think they're really excited about shaping Division Three and how it's going to look the next year, the next three years, and then possibly the next 10 years.
0: The budgetary issue is obviously something we'll come. I want to bring up, but we'll, I want to get to it in a second because something that, we, that the panel drove home, and Jason Fine especially, I remember speaking on this, maybe it was Brad Bankston as well, but I, I'm sure all four of them did was the fact that many may pass this Constitution despite the fact the budget's not going the way we want it. The money, the financial side's not going the way we really want things to go because now we're going to get our own autonomy. We don't have to go crawling to D1 and D2 to say, could you please let us do X? When they could Mm -hmm. give two toots about that. Um, Or they could throw a monkey wrench into the whole thing and and blow up up an option that we want to do. I always use raising the dues to $2,000 as an example of why you had to go ask them for A favor and they kind of gave you the favor and you kind of got lucky they gave you the favor how how can d3 and maybe it's too early to ask this but how can d3 reinvent itself mold itself whatever it wants to do with its own way of running things what options are now maybe more on the table than they ever were before and we never considered them because we never thought they'd be realistic
10: Yes. So so you mentioned the first thing. And I don't know if our membership would say, oh, let's raise our dues again. Right. You know, if there's four hundred and thirty two adding into a pot, does it does a small increase help a greater. Right. So but that is in the new constitution. We don't have to ask anybody's permission to do that. I think that there are some expectations that, um, for example, playing rules right now, we all operate under the same plane rules and that's created some heartburn for some in the division others have said well of course we should do that if division one and division two are doing it but that's something now we have the autonomy to say does that really make sense for our division we may end up in the exact same spot but that's autonomy we've never had before interesting so something to think about it, it's so if if your viewer said well what is it I don't know today, but we know we have the autonomy to do that. What we're trying to figure out, um, because some things have occurred in terms of Board of Governors policies, do the divisions have the autonomy to maybe go in a different direction? There have been some things recently that our division has said we understand, but does that really make sense for our division? For example, we have the campus sexual violence policy attestation. I think most have said, yeah, that makes sense that every year, everybody on our staff, our student athletes should be educated about campus sexual violence. But starting next year, there's an additional requirement about transfers coming into your institution. And what we've heard from some of our schools is, well, that may cause some legal issues. That's what we're hearing. Is that really the best thing? And so there's lots to that to unpack. But at the end of the day, the question becomes, do we have the autonomy to do something maybe different than the other two divisions? That's a still to be determined. Um, we passed a new constitution, but it's not effective until August 1st. So that gives us some time to sort of say, okay, where do we have the autonomy? And now that we have it, how do we wanna use it? And that's why we're doing this membership survey because I don't think our governance committees wanna make that decision without having feedback from the entire membership institutions and conferences.
0: You you may not know the answer to this either, but one of the brainstorms that's kind of come up that I thought was really intriguing was, Hey, okay, we're now our own division. We can do what we want. We don't have to be beholden the D one and D 2s rules. Maybe we decide the convention for us or legislative window for us is really an 18 month window. We need a little bit more time than the D ones who can get together whenever the damn well they please and have a conversation we need 18 months. We need 24 months. So we're not going to convene every single year or legislatively vote on something every single year. Is that feasible is really my question. Not well, it happened because we'll find out, but is that feasible? Or are there still going to be some things that still as a framework of the NCAA, we're going to have to stick to?
10: No, Dave, that's a, it's a great example. We would have that autonomy to, to do something like that. If our membership thought it was the best way to move forward, um, we absolutely would have that autonomy to, to say, OK, we need a longer legislative cycle or maybe we don't want to meet every year in person. We want to meet every other year. Yeah, that that's autonomy that we absolutely have. Um, and then the trick is getting four hundred thirty two schools to figure out what's the best way to go like anything. Right.
0: <laughs> and growing. That's right. Yeah. Uh, by the time we get to anything meaningful, it might be four fifty. Um, well,
10: and and I'll say that, Dave, recently, the last three or four years, we've actually lost more members than we've gained. So we've actually, but four or five years ago, we were probably sitting at about 450. Today, we're at 432. Yeah,
0: I do realize that. One thing I keep in mind is the 2025 cliff for everybody, um, yep. which will change that equation. But I'm also looking at the futures in other divisions and just Waiting for the door to open. I'm kind of curious if D three will keep its restrict to four years, but that's another topic. Not four years. I'm sorry, four schools per year. Yep. Um, let me jump to the budget thing. Let's get that kind of done and dusted. Again, it stayed at 3.18 percent. We just heard uh, yesterday the NCA budget's going to be 1.1 something billion. I've lost track of the numbers. I did the math earlier, so I've got different numbers in my head. Essentially, it equates out to about oh, I was about 36 some odd, 37 million dollars for next year for Division three. Listen, we're going to get the one and a million overhead back. That's not chump change. But I know there's frustration that we couldn't convince, and I say we in a general way, couldn't convince D1 to give up a few more pennies. And I, I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. I mean that seriously. It is pennies for them. and Or convince D2, which would have been a harder sell, to give up a little bit of theirs to stay within the framework of that 7.55%. I'm a little more frustrated at what was the impasse on the D one level. If they keep showing division three as the spotlight and the student athlete, this is the NCAA, this is what we're achieving. Yeah. But that's all we're just, we're just using you for the image. Like what's the impasse to give up one, another 10th of a percent really.
10: Yeah. You know, Dave, I was not in those rooms. Right. I I realized what I would say. Um, I think Division Three has been having conversations about the inequity between Division Three annual revenue and Division Two for years. Yeah, the D3 um,
0: D2 one's a much more interesting one. I, I know I use D1, but they're the ones with got the purse strings.
10: That's right. So, so what I would and I say that because while we've had that conversation amongst ourselves. In my 10 years, it's the first time that we had this conversation at an association-wide level. To really be able to drill home repeatedly to the Board of Governors, our Division I colleagues, and our Division II colleagues, there are some inherent inequities with the annual revenue. And the reality is, and I heard several of our presidents say this, That conversation needed to start. It probably was gonna be unrealistic though for the change to occur within that five to six month window that we drafted a new constitution. What I think, I I don't know if your viewers know this, um, we really talked about this a lot as we talked about the constitution. What the new constitution allows that that isn't in the current constitution is it says the Board of Governors and each divisional presidential body can now bring amendments back to the Constitution that could be voted on by the entire association.
0: Yeah, I didn't know so that. So in
10: the past, only the Board of Governors could recommend a change. Right. And so having that ability, having the ability for our division to say, all right, how do we go back at the finance discussion? You know, we're coming, we're still in a pandemic, but every institution is coming off of, we lost a lot of money. We lost a lot of students. And so while many may say, oh, that's not much money for division one. It all depends on the lens of that division one. Is, are you talking a school like a big time Alabama or Notre Dame? Or are you talking about a school like a Butler or a Marist. It, you know, it just all depends. And I think having the conversation while it was frustrating for our division that the change didn't happen was a critical first step to lay the groundwork for future change. Interesting. Um, and we now have the opportunity to do that. And I don't want to lose sight of that. I don't have an answer today, but there are a lot of smart people in our division. We have some allies in the other divisions that, that I do believe that this will come back around at some point in the near future.
0: I knew letting St. Thomas go to D1 was going to be a good thing. I love it. Love it. Um, curious. We talk about being able to find new revenues, and I've, I've heard that quote from a few people like, hey, now we can go find our own revenues, blah, blah, blah. Let's be realistic. Where are those revenues? I mean, it's a nice thing to say, but the reality is we're not signing a TV contract with ESPN anytime soon.
10: <laughs> you know, and, and and I don't know where those new revenues are, but no way am I going to stop anybody from having creative ideas. Oh, sure. I, you know, the balance right now, like on any institution, we have a corporate department. So they're doing corporate sponsorships. Yes, they're primarily coming in because of Division I and those national championships, but we benefit from them. So it's that balance of saying, okay, can we come up with a corporate sponsorship? We need to walk that line of saying, well, if we keep all those, what may have Division One and Division Two to say, well, then we'll keep our own, right? So there's a tipping point there that we want to walk. But at the end of the day, we have great people in our division. And if they come up with ideas and we're going to keep asking for those ideas, I don't know today, I cannot pinpoint to say, here's where we can get more money. Um, But as I mentioned, no way am I going to stop that conversation at the moment because something may come up to say, that's it. That's going to be able to help us uh, generate a bit more money. And I think at the end of the day, Dave, what I heard was if we had an an equal percentage to the Division Two, we could we could use that money. And that equates to about five million dollars. So we'll work hard to figure out how do we add that additional $5 million to our budget. In the meantime, we know in 24-25, we get a $4 million increase. So I think what's most important for our division is what can we do starting next year to start to enhance those championship experiences while maintaining some really important non-championship programs and initiatives?
0: Yeah, um, you you talked about the seventy five twenty five split too. I've seen that vote brought up at other issue forums, and everyone overwhelmingly supported that. I would be interested to see where that conversation takes things, uh, as well. Um, I, I find it also fascinating. You know, you know, again, D two's got this huge budget, um, and I'm remembering the 2015 conversation on the dais that Mark Emmert had with the three presidents. D2 talking about having a surplus and expanding its championships and doing everything right. And by the way, we're also taking a page out of D3. We're putting student athletes on our management council and all that stuff, giving them a vote. And D3 and uh, then Whittier president, uh, President Herzberger gets up there and says, yeah, we don't have the money. We're, we're, we're tight on funds. We're, we're cutting back on championships. I bring all that up to say, okay, we didn't get more of the pot. We got a little bit more money not having to pay the overhead. But championships are growing. Championships are getting more expensive by no fault of D3s. It's transportation, housing, etc. As much as we're getting a little bit more money and hopefully the ESPN women's basketball contract's a big boon too. I mean, we'll root that on, but championships keep getting bigger. Championships keep getting more expensive. At some point, there's got to be a give and take and nobody wants to go back to the the former times when championships were really restrictive. It, It feels like a really tough, crossroad right now.
6: Yeah, you
10: know, Dave, it is like everybody, um, you know, we lost some serious revenue during the pandemic. However, I think we're in a position we had funded two pretty significant championship enhancements the year of the pandemic. Um, I think our and one was local ground transportation. So if a team flies somewhere, yeah, the six hundred for the first time ever, we will pay for that local ground transportation. Right. Yes. And then a pandemic hit, and we had to pull it back. We also said, which was really important, especially for our Division Three members in the far west, we're going to have a policy that you will not face a conference opponent in the first round. So those were two initiatives that we were funding. We pulled it back because of the pandemic and the hit to, the, um, to our revenue, but strategic planning and finance, the championships committee, our president's council, our management council have said, those are priorities that we wanna bring back sooner rather than later. And then as you know, we've also heard, again, we had lots of great conversations before the pandemic about a day of rest at our national championships. And so that's something that our championships committee just met they started that conversation. And again, as I mentioned, we're sending out this membership survey. We're asking all those questions. So it's like, all right, membership, what, what t- give us some direction. We can't do everything but prioritize. What are the most important? So I actually believe we're going to be able to get our championships, add back those, um, those funding for those important things that will make it a high-quality championship Where I think there's difficulty is, and I understand it completely, many of our campuses are enrollment driven. So I'm going to do basketball because this is uh, Hoopsville. uh, And some may say, I'll have a basketball team of 25 players. Well, that's perfect for enrollment management. Some coaches may say that's easy to coach. Others may say it's difficult. Well, obviously our travel parties are not that high. And so that's where we need to figure out But what I think is the most important thing is, whatever our established travel parties are right now, how do we make sure that they have the best possible experience? Travel, per diem, gifts, um, all the officials, all the things that go into making a high quality a championship. And I don't think we're that far off to be honest. I believe that we're gonna be able to get there and do those things that will be appreciated most especially by our student-athletes.
0: You you brought up one I wanted to bring up. Obviously, soccer championships, which I'm involved with, the Coaches Association came out, of course, a little late in the process. That's just my own personal opinion, saying, hey, you know, there's there's no gap between the semis and the championship. Of course, there's no gap between any of the rounds uh, on the weekends. And they wanted to pay for it. And the first thing I thought of, Luis, was, Listen, it's a great idea, but you can't do for one if you can't do for all. And unless you're paying for all, nobody else is going to do like this. This is got this is going to end badly because it's going to get spun the wrong way. Not that we're not all for it, but you can't approve that even if they are paying for it, because lacrosse is going to have the same argument. Basketball is going to have the same argument. Volleyball is going to have the same argument. You run into a, a, a cluster trying to get that all solved. But back to that budget question. Where's the money? Like, everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to get a, a a game between round one and a day between round one and two, a round day between three and four, and a round between the semis and championships and get a day of rest. Everyone wants to do that. But that's more on the costs that we were just talking about are the most expensive. So how does that get done? And could
10: sports also say, no, we don't need it? That's right, Dave. So the very first thing is we're going to I believe that the membership will come back and say, yes, a day of rest is. Yeah, I highly
0: suspect that'll happen.
10: So the championships committee, though, needs that information. They need to also touch Just what you said, touch base with every sport committee and say, does it make sense for your sport? Get those recommendations. And at the end of the day, yes, there is a budget impact, but there's also a travel impact. There's a good chance if you have a day of rest, you may be leaving campus on a Monday night or a Tuesday. We in Division III, staying in class, the the less you can miss, the better. So it's just thinking through that. It's also thinking through, and I think a lot of conferences have gone away from this, but they used to play back-to-back in their conference tournaments. And it doesn't mean that if we change it at the NCAA level, you have to change it at the conference level, but there will absolutely be pressure
0: That's a good point. And
10: so I think the answer is, yes, we want to get it done. We will find a way to get it done, but it's also nuance. It's just not as simple as like, just make it happen. And for the other two reasons I mentioned about missed class time and also what's the impact on regular season and conference tournament play.
0: Yeah, I didn't think of the conference side of that. You're right. It's going to, it's going to force that hand, and there's a lot of conferences who are trying to squeeze in as as much of a tournament as possible. That's going to affect tournaments. Yeah. There's, there's a huge trickle down to all that. That'll be interesting to play out.
10: Yeah, um, and that's okay though. I think our, I think our membership is there. And so you, you listen and you pivot and you change. Um, but when the champs committee had the conversation in 2019, that's what they were trying to figure out is the membership there and ready knowing that there is a trickle down effect as I mentioned, on how you set up your tournaments and also in terms of missed class time. But we had a pandemic. We've had it for two years, and I just think there's a different view on it today than there was two years ago. We've heard that loud and clear, um, and the champs committee is making it a priority as they move forward.
0: Yeah, will be fascinating to see how that all plays out. Yep. Um, that's an interesting topic. And again, we haven't even gotten into whether you play Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday second institutions that don't necessarily allow Sunday play or maybe can't play on a Saturday or whatever.
10: That's correct.
0: Yeah. There's, there's a trickle down there. That's going to have a huge impact. It'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. Um, what else out of the convention should we be aware of? I know there's the issues, uh, the issues forum or the topic session, um, which I didn't get a chance to tune into. And I meant to go back and watch and, and I haven't had the time to do that either. Sometimes those things aren't for much. I, I remember sitting in one, one time and I came on going, wow. Okay, we had votes on some really interesting things, but none of that's really going to mean much in the two next two, three years. And then there's been others that come out of there going, hold on, and there's, there's an idea coming down the road. One of them was the reduction of how many games are played by each uh, sport, which un- un- ended not the way the founders wanted, but it was interesting how it started. Anything on the, on the radar we should be keeping our kind of uh, eyes on?
10: Yeah, you know, I think it was one of the most fascinating legislative proposals that we had uh in recent history. So there was a football proposal that There's always a football proposal their- Luis. Hmm? There's always a football yeah, proposal. Yeah, but this one, you know, Dave, this would this looked at the entire season and it was the first time in my 10 years that it really took a look at preseason, traditional and spring and, and And it was all around contact. It was all around making sure what are the best ways to reduce head impact exposures. I think our football playing institutions will be very happy with that because they're going to have some more content. They're going to have, for the first time, they're going to have contact opportunities in the spring. Yeah. And that's something they've been asking for for a long time. They
0: have. It's been tenuous. Yeah.
10: That's right. So there were two companion proposals Uh, Right now for a conference, you still need seven members to form a conference, but you only need six to get the AQ. And and I think, again, conferences have, have seen there's lots of shifting. There's lots of changes on campuses, primarily, I would guess, because of funding levels. And I think they said this will give us more flexibility. So in turn, also to form a single sport conference, you only need six members now probably one of the most fascinating proposals got referred back to the interpretations and legislations committee. And, and that would have changed our current rule that if I'm in basketball, I'm on the team, I go to practice every day. As soon as that first competition occurs and I go back to practice the next day, I've used the season. Well, this would have said, you won't use a season until you actually compete. And so, it was referred and the reason it was referred is what they wanted to say is one, what does the membership think about this? So we have the survey, but more importantly, how would this impact a student who says, I do wanna come back for a fifth year? Well, they more than likely have to fully fund that. What does it mean if there's not a graduate program? What does it mean if they're at an institution that doesn't let them stay for a fifth year? And then what does it mean on the front end as you're recruiting new students? How does that impact your recruiting classes if you have maybe three or four students that are now going to stay five years? So I think it makes sense that it's going to be go back. It's going to be looked at. Um, And at the end of the day, if the governance structure doesn't move forward a similar type proposal, obviously the original uh, sponsors can bring it back for 2023.
0: Well, and that one's interesting too, because D3 some odd years ago got rid of the red shirt. They said, this is not what D3 stands for. And to some degree, I get that a student athlete may decide, listen, I'm not going to play this year because I want to focus on academics or I want to focus on having a year at another time to play, whatever the case may be. And I buy that as a former student athlete myself. But then my argument back is, then why are you practicing every day? Like, it's almost like you want your cake and eat it too. And it feels like that's the opposite of D3. But I agree with you. Referring didn't get, didn't surprise me. What happens next will be interesting on that one. On the AQ one, I feel like that one, no one looked at the fallout of that. There's reasons pertaining to whichever sport you're looking at it from. If I'm in baseball, lacrosse, women's especially, um, or a small sport like men's volleyball or field hockey, I'm absolutely for this. You need it for geographic conferences, whatever the case may be. There are conferences, I mean, <laughs> not that this applies necessarily, but there's two Wisconsin schools, I think, in the c to c for soccer because they don't have another choice. The numbers don't add up, but there's places like that. If I'm in a sport like football, this is the worst idea possible because you're going to just blow up the AQ and leave no at-large bids potentially If people start playing numbers, and I'll say this again, we know where this is already moving. We already know of places this is going to take place. Was that one that should have been thought out a little bit more and said, we need every sport to respond to this and maybe find a per sport answer than a blanket answer?
10: Yeah, well, it was a membership proposal. And I, you know, this is what I love about the governance structure, Dave, is that They did that homework. They had those conversations. Um, I believe that when our delegates come to the convention, they're prepared to vote. They've had those conversations. Um, And and at the end of the day, I I don't have the exact vote in front of me, um, but it wasn't that close. No, it was overwhelming. That's right. And so
0: The, the debate was shorter than I expected too.
10: That's right. So, you know, is there an unintended consequences? We'll find out. But I, I truly believe a hundred things can be going on in your world on campus. Our delegates are prepared to vote on the proposals in front of them. They do their homework. Um, so at the end of the day, um, they felt that this was going to be good for the division and for their student athletes and for their conferences.
0: And I appreciate that. Yeah, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, before I let you go, kind of curious, what's it like to be essentially the head of Division three now, having been a student athlete in Division three and and you and obviously been an administrator at Division three as well? We'll we'll let you count Tri-State, even though they were in AIA at the time. Um, big win over Hope, obviously, last week. But yep. what is it like to now lead the division that you've been a part of your entire adult life and can appreciate from a student-athlete's perspective, even if that 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 perspective is very different than the one I had or very different than the one the students are having now. But what's it like to now be leading this division?
10: Yeah, it's an honor. I'll start with that. Um, I am Division Three, As you've mentioned, I've been Division Three my entire career. What you get as a Division III student athlete, it's different today, obviously, than when I played in the 80s, but the opportunity to excel within your sport, I wasn't the greatest student athlete, the opportunity to be with teammates, to have coaches who supported me, who stretched me, who challenged me, and most importantly, to get a great education and all those things, and then the third component of that, so you have your athletics, your education. Most Division Three schools also say, well, what else are you gonna do? Are you gonna be part of campus ministry? Are you gonna work for the community somehow? How else, what are you gonna do outside of those two areas? It's sort of, to me, those three areas that, I love that about the Division Three philosophy. Yeah, it's changed over the last 30 years. But at its core, there are some things today that student athletes are experiencing that you and I experience. Um, and to have that opportunity is, is truly an honor to be able to say, let me listen to you. How do we find compromise? Because we know our institutions and conferences are different. And how do we always continue to be better for the student athlete today? It, it's, um, it's just awesome. Because I love
0: it. Yeah, that's cool. I appreciate getting to hear that from you. Uh, thanks for the time. Uh, as with Dan, as with a lot of our guests, I could talk forever and and, and bring up other questions. I'm sure we've we've there's things that could have been brought up that we didn't bring up and whatnot. That happens all the time. But I appreciate you taking the time to at least chat with us. Uh, look forward to to chatting with you down the road and having more conversations and learning more about Division Three and whatnot. Uh, as always, we give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those who may be tuned in?
10: Yeah. Well, one, Dave, it's great to see you virtually. I can't wait to see you in person. Um, as I was preparing for this, we haven't had a basketball championship in two years. So how exciting to be able to have a national championship um, and just sort of all the goosebumps that go with that. Uh, I, I think we'll be multiplied uh, this year. Um, so I wish everybody the best. Uh, continue to be safe and healthy. Um, and as I usually end, go Division Three.
0: Yeah, well said. Yeah, Thomas Moore is still the defending champs in women's basketball. <laughs> A little quirky. <laughs> hey, Luis, thanks so much. Take care of yourself. Uh, stay safe in the weather. And uh, we'll look forward to touching base with you down the road and looking forward to seeing the interim tag get removed as well.
10: All right. thanks so much Dave, take care
0: Thank you, Luis McCleary joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline We're going to keep the topic of the NCAA going Head of Officiating, Jim Haney joins us next Talk about, well men's officiating Talk about all the quirks he's been dealing with as well You listen to Hoopsville, presented by D3Hoops.com From the NABC Studios Back with more after this
3: This is why we love sports It's in the way they play Free from the pressures And all the money talk playing for simply the love of the game, where everyone has a shot at their definition of success on and off the field. This is what we love about sports and what we can still love about college sports.
5: It's on us, it's on all of us, and it's time to act now.
6: It's on us to start the change. It's on us to be the change. It's on us. It's on Division Three. It's on all of us to stop sexual assault. You can make a difference.
0: Welcome back to Hoopsville, everybody. Let's continue on the marathon. I've ordered dinner, so that's a good sign. We're at least aware of the clock, and the family will be fed. (laughs) If you've got questions for us, tweet us at D3Hoopsville and hashtag Hoopsville. Email us hoopsville at d3sports.com. Great conversation there with Luis Luis McCleary. Had some great conversations in general. Uh, Got a question from Tyler Wheeling. Wheeling's, I apologize. Says, March is almost here. Not the best, but most dangerous teams for me are Yeshiva and Penn State Harrisburg when playing at their best. What do you think? Have any in mind? Well, Penn State Harrisburg just took a bad loss, to be honest with you. And Yeshiva's pretty good, too. But to be honest with you, (laughs) there's a lot of good teams in men's basketball. Uh, Wisconsin teams show that. The CCIW teams show that. Randolph-Macon, darn good squad. Uh, You chose some good ones but. But there's a lot more out there. Uh, I think the tournament's going to be wide open like we were expecting during the 2021 when it got derailed. Uh, Speaking of the tournament, we always talk about officiating in the tournament and how it goes and how it differs across each region and how teams have to adapt to that. Rightly or wrongly, it's a conversation piece. A few years back, we had the head of D3 officiating something that was new for the division Jim Haney on the show talking about how he wanted to kind of change things up and do things better in Division Three, and really, most importantly, get it consistent across the board. Then the pandemic said, hold my beer, and I'm sure Jim's been putting his head through a wall ever since. But he, he'll tell us if I'm right or wrong. Joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline, it's the aforementioned Jim Haney, head of Division Three officiating uh, on the uh, overall divisional basis. First and foremost, sir, how are you? Thanks for taking the time.
5: David, I'm... um terrific um enjoying uh my time at home due to some health concerns but uh i'm raring to go for the tournament and looking forward to uh what we started back in 2021 on the anticipation of going to atlanta and now i i anticipate this year the same thing we're going to have a great tournament
0: yeah no it it should be a great one just sans the uh, the atlanta side of that um I, I, let me start with what I kind of alluded there. You had all these good ideas, You had some, and and you were starting to execute them to get all officials across the board kind of on the same page so that mid-Atlantic refs aren't calling one way, central refs calling another way, et cetera. You had goals of trying to train stu- uh, officials better, get them to particular events to reward them, but also improve their skill set, all that. I'm quite sure, and you and I have not really talked about it, but I'm quite sure the pandemic must have caused – some real headaches to those plans.
5: Yeah, it it did it it derailed it derailed what we had started. We were on such a good path uh, in two thousand twenty one in that tournament. The officiating was good, the level of play was good, and then all of a sudden, you know, we're pulling officials off of planes. We're pulling officials back off their cars on the road, turn around, go home. Teams the same way and. We basically are now starting back at square zero a little bit and uh, trying to get back on the same page. What's
0: Listen, we still have the conversation of those saying, well, they allow a lot of of physicality in the paint in this region, and they call the hand check a lot in this region, and and so on and so forth. And I know you're trying to strive towards that. I suspect we're still in that conversation mode A, because that's what we expect and assume, And so maybe we're missing the bigger picture, but B, because you haven't been able to get everybody on the page by this point, like you
5: were hoping to. That's true to a point, Dave, but yet uh, across the country, we have 26 supervisors that have really bought in to our program that Alex and I have put together and they have strived to go out to make it better for our teams so that there is some type of consistency across the country. Now, with the turnover of young officials and with the inexperience of the younger group coming in every year to replace the guys that are being rewarded for doing a good job and going to Division I, you know, we we have this core group that basically is just out of high school. And now they're coming to Division Three college basketball, and the expectations are a whole lot different. There's accountability, there's tape, there's film, there's all kinds of things. And we're better. We're, we're better. We're not where we need to be, but we are clearly better in the state of officiating right now than we were five years ago when I took over. I can't believe it's been five years just for the record.
0: Um, I, I use this next question. Let me first give an example. There were two games that I was a part of that I know, Video slash memorandums were sent out about a short time later. One of them had to do – I wasn't actually involved with the one. I just realized I'm involved with the school, so I knew about it. Had to do with um, when does the basket go through – or when does the clock stop? Does it go through the rim or through the net? And maybe that was women's basketball, but it came up. And the other one was in a men's basketball game, they started with a women's ball. Uh, we played four minutes of basketball uh, with a women's ball before a free throw shooter said, something's not right here. Um I ask you. I know that there's a constant lag. Hey, check this out. Let's keep that from happening. Check this out. Let's keep that from happening. But how does that process actually work? How does how do either the local supervisors or yourself start talking to officials about improvements on a weekly, biweekly, whatever
5: basis that you do that on? Well, they have calls. They have calls for their staffs, and we have we instituted um, coordinator calls for our 26 supervisors every month, just like division one. So we'll get the feedback from what JD has. uh, And then I'll give the 26 supervisors what's applicable to our division three, because some of the stuff that JD goes across replay and, and some of the other things we don't have, I mean, but yet we do have some stuff that is pertinent to our game. So I will highlight that in our, a monthly call, which we never had before. So now what they do is they take this information back to their own staffs and say, hey, Jim Haney's seen this across the country. Let's make sure it's not happening in our region. And that's how we're getting better as far as what you said. Is it physical in the in the, in the WEAC? Maybe a little bit more because of the style of play. Is it is their hand-checking called more in the NJAC? Or less in the end, Jack could be, but yet we're getting there. We're we're getting there. Clearly, we're on the right road. Yeah, interesting. I I appreciate that. The fact that
0: you guys never even had those conversations, Um, I I guess I just assumed they did happen, or I just never thought about it. So interesting that, that that at least they're in place now. How many games do you watch? Let's say in a general week, and and are you feeding back to the supervisors or directly to the officials? And thus, how many are supervisors watching and and then feeding back on? Well, we're all watching
5: uh, every game that we can right now because of the NCAA tournament. Uh, They've submitted some lists to us, uh, me specifically, about the pool of officials that I'm going to pick from for our tournament, and I'm trying to whittle it down good or no good. Um, I have about 215 right now, and I'll get that down to probably 180, but I watch games. I, guys don't even think I have a life because I'll text the supervisor. Mark Cook thinks I stay up to two o'clock in the morning just to watch Whitworth and Whitney. <laughs> so, and when I text him to ask him the names on a game, he says his first thing he says is, "Get a life. It's two o'clock in the morning. We got to stop." But you know, That's awesome. I, I watch games all over the country, and and you were talking about feedback. One of the critical things that we started way back when and was high on the priority list was to get feedback to the officials on their performances during the regular season. We have done that. We have started that. There's an evaluation form that now as soon as the supervisor or Jim Haney or an observer for one of the leagues hits submit it goes immediately to the to the to the referee. He can then look at the comments and he can judge and go back to check out all the plays that are good, no good, whatever. So we're clearly way ahead of where we were, way ahead as far as communication with the officials and with what the supervisors have done by buying into this plan.
0: It says a lot because I think a few years ago, I think you were still talking about trying to get supervisors on board with what you were trying to do and thus get officials on board with what you were trying to do. There was a little bit of uh, maybe stubbornness of, of trying to of change
5: those things. Yes, I agree. As, as change comes for all of us in my generation, as you know, we are not too tech savvy <laughs> and like to open a Google document is a chore. So, you know, that becomes a little tooth pulling and, and, but now we're we're clearly, we're in today's age and we're, we're clearly
0: way ahead of where we were. It's amazing. Um, I remember when we were out in Vegas, I know I've shared this story. I think I shared this story with you. I know I've shared it with others. Uh, we had a, a couple of officials who came from the Skyak in California and they, they asked us if you were there. They didn't see you in the first game. And I said, no, he couldn't make the trip. Unfortunately, he wanted to be here, long story short. Um, and they said, oh, it's too bad. And he started to talk about how you were at a game the previous event. And that you came in either at halftime, I think it was halftime, and and really kind of gave him a whole kind of breakdown of things that needed to improve. And at first I'm like, this doesn't sound like a guy who really wants Jim Haney around. It sounds like a guy who, who was kind of glad he's not here. And then he finished up going, no, it's awesome. Because then I went out there and at the end of the game, he came up to me and goes, hey, you made all the adjustments you needed to make. That's outstanding work. Good job. Blah, blah, blah. He said it was the best feedback I've gotten it in years and it was, and it was so helpful. So it was clearly that, yeah, it might be tough to hear, but it's good for them and the, and the program. How important is it to be on site? And I know you haven't been able to, or give that feedback, not from your perspective, but clearly it must be something that they want
5: as well. They clearly wanted it, David. And they were, they were looking for it five years ago and it, when I started taking over this job, that was one of the first things that I heard across this country was to get us feedback, get us availability of tape for games that we can watch. And we did all that and, and we've instituted it to a point now where it, it's so good and it works so good. And and I gotta give Mort credit because his skill set has has changed how we look at officiating in D3 with technology, with the help of his stuff and what he did. He has now gotten all of the supervisors and myself back into this day and age. And it's clearly making it easier to get that communication, even if we're not on site back to the official, because we're still sitting and watching games. You're talking about
0: Alex, the uh, liaison, right? Alex Morcalara, right. Yep, no, I just want to make sure I was on the right page with you. Uh, one of the other things you you had mentioned about the, the Vegas event and some others was that you wanted to kind of make them um, – it had something to do with the tournament. I, I don't remember all the details now, unfortunately, but it's something about, listen, if we have tournament officials, let's get them to Vegas, get them to work more You know, games that they wouldn't work normally or give them in a high-stakes atmosphere. And obviously Vegas isn't the only one you could do that with, but – Is that still something you hope to accomplish?
5: Yes, Dave, that that would be that would be an upgrade for the tournament itself. If the coaches knew that we were bringing in NCAA tournament officials from the previous year to work their games that are so important. How many highly ranked teams have you had out there in the last three, four years where the tournament's been terrific? I can think of John, the year I was there, John Hopkins lost two games in overtime that were decided by officiating. Yeah, And the shame of it was, you know, maybe John Hopkins didn't make the tournament that year because of something like that, because of those two losses. But how about if I can upgrade the quality of officiating to previous years, tournament referees and reward them for having a good year and then tell the coaches, Hey, you're getting people to work the Final Four. You're getting people to work the Sweet 16 from the previous year. Bring all the good teams out there. Now let them really play, knowing that the level of officiating is going to be really good. You know, instead of going in and maybe they hold their breath a little bit and say, "Uh, who am I getting out here in good. Las Vegas since there's no D3 refs anywhere near Las Vegas?
0: Yeah, fair point. Uh, I, you know, I've always thought we've gotten decent officials. Though I've certainly had different perspectives once you shined a light on them. Uh, but you see things in a light that we certainly don't see to that extent. Back to the question I was, or the mention, comment I mentioned earlier about you know, well, that how can they adjust that? There's a lot of banging inside allowed by these officials, et cetera. If I'm a layperson watching a game, especially in different regions, what should I look to see or not see that would let me know? that things are a little bit more on keel. Is it possible to notice that?
5: You should see, uh, you should see effort. You should see guys giving effort, running up and down the floor, running to and from their table uh, on fouls. You should see very good communication with coaches, not going over there and immediately putting up the stop sign, but having an ear lending an ear, which we're working on and coaches appreciate that because That's another part of the equation. You should see some consistency on calls from end to end. Maybe, you know, maybe it's not what I want totally, but it's consistent. It's, it's a little bit, you know, stronger maybe in the WIAC because they play a little bit differently and it's more physical, but yet it's physical at both ends. It's not just physical at one end for, you know, Oshkosh. It's physical for lacrosse also, but Those are some of the things that you should be able to see that should stick out to you that a hand check's a hand check and a hand check's a hand check down here. And the game's being played better. There's not as much clutching and grabbing as there used to be in the middle of the paint. One of the other things is the point of emphasis
0: we get every year on something. Uh, Legal screens flopping. Those are two off the top of my head. Uh, I think the hand check, but that was also on the women's side, so I might be confusing it. It feels like by the time we get to midway to two-thirds of the way through the year, we see it less called. Now, maybe that's, maybe that's because teams have adjusted, and I freely admit we're not seeing it called because teams aren't doing it as much anymore. Or is there still an element of officials get tired of calling it and get tired of hearing from coaches they don't want to see that call anymore, even though they're being told by their bosses it's a point of emphasis by the way, the coaches made it a point of emphasis, but that's a whole other conversation.
5: No, this is—it's being called, and, and the reason teams teams adjust. Coaches, our coaches at this level are good. They they do a great job with the student athletes, and they adjust. They adjust how their legs being called. They're no dummies. They're not. They're not gonna. they're they're, they're not gonna just say, "Oh, it's not going to get called." They know what's going on. They, they play so, they play each other so much. They're so familiar with each other, like the CCIW. I mean, there, there's teams out there. They, they bang heads every night. I mean, there's four or five hard games in that league, and I'm just using the CCIW as an example, but they, they know what's going on, and the supervisors continue to tell the officials, hey, we're getting rid of flopping. Guess what? There's no flopping right now. You don't see it very much anymore. I've seen anymore. a lot
0: less. Yeah.
5: Yeah, right. True. You see some oh, yeah. How about you the hook some and you see some argue for it? Yeah. But how about the hook and hold that we used to see where a guy would just grab the guy's arm and then try to get a rebound with one arm while I was holding the other guy. I
0: saw that called last night, I think or no, a couple nights ago for the first time in forever and it dawned
5: on me I hadn't seen it. Right? It's gone away. We've yeah. gotten rid of it. The coaches have told their kids, "Knock it off. Flopping, knock it off. It's going to get called." don't do it it's not aau it's not high school and there's accountability and if guys don't call it guess what maybe they will not work in a postseason yeah you know still we're all we're all trying to be the best that we can be so at the end of the year our name comes up for postseason play and that's what we want
0: yeah that's that's pretty cool i appreciate that perspective on it uh, I'm sure there's lots more we could talk about, but I don't want to hog more of your time. Uh, I know it's a big job. You probably have a lot of games to watch tonight uh, that have been moved around. I'm sure that doesn't help your schedule, by the way. All the games <laughs> that have been moved around. I am curious before I let you go, they'll come out with the bracket. Normally, how this is done, there's an initial bracket put out on Sunday night that the committee at least puts together. Then on Monday they'll review it before it's made public. I.e., I get to see it. We record something and it's put out later that day. At what point do you see the bracket, and at what point do you start working on assignments? And and quick aside to that, is it still a policy that if of officials seen that team within two years, they're not officiating
5: that game? Um, it's it's neutrality. It's it's complete neutrality. Um, it's not within two years. Okay. Um, you know, but they won't work the conference. They might've seen them in a non league game, a crossover game. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Somewhere, but there's no familiarity with them. Um, like the NJAC's going to work down at, you know, maybe Randolph Macon. Gotcha. The ODAK guys will go North, you sure. know, to work maybe Makes at Yeshiva or someplace like that. So we'll mix and match them. But to answer your question, I'm in Indianapolis also when they're doing the bracket and once the bracket is, comes out a little bit, they give it to me and I start plugging in crews. Gotcha. This, I look at the teams, I look at, you know, we have that mileage situation where guys, I can't fly guys and, you know, we're limited similar mileage issues. Yeah. We're, we're under, I think this year it's 600 miles.
0: Yep. Okay. So you have 30. the same mileage rules that we have. Got it.
5: Yes. Yes. So um, I'm looking at the crews and then I'll mix and match them. And by the time Monday comes, when you get it, I'm pretty much ready to go unless there's been a tweak to it overnight for some reason. Right. And then uh, you know, whatever, then I'll put the final Monday night, the, the, the the assignments will go out or Tuesday, the assignments will go out to the officials so they know where they're going. But that's how it works for me. And how, I'm how much are you looking to the next weekend and beyond?
0: How much are you holding guys back maybe to be used the next weekend or whatever the case may be?
5: No, I'm not. They're 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 my best is going out in first first and second round. And you're reusing them now, right? Yes, I'm reusing. Them. Yeah, that was yeah. the
0: difference in the past is sometimes they didn't get used earlier on. You're now rewarding kind of like the pros do. Yeah. And and Absolutely. having them work and continue work. So somebody could work three weekends in a row.
5: Conceivably, um, conceivably. Yeah. I might not I might take the best three crews from the first weekend where I'm gonna use at 16 sites, I will have three crews two Friday night and one Saturday night. Sure all evaluated, all evaluated by an on-site observer, sent to me, the evaluation sent to me. I then look at it. And maybe if I see a crew, because I'm going to be sitting watching all the games in Indianapolis, um, if I see a crew that's really done good, I might take them right to the to the final four and skip a weekend just so that they're not seeing the same team over or case. I might save them. But more than likely, they could work three weekends. I want to
0: see where you're watching all the games, because we, we try here to to do a little bit of a whip around, and I was going to offer you a seat, but then it dawned on me, you're slave to whatever we're going to. I've got to imagine watching all the games in front of you at once. T- that's got to be pretty fun. I, I want to be in that room.
5: Yeah, it is It is fun. Mort and, I, Mort and I have fun. We sit and just keep moving pieces around. This game's on. This game's starting. Let's put this game on there. That game's over. We're done with that game, you know, but we'll watch, especially games coming down to the end. Sure. Um, in the last four minutes where we, you know, where we have a close ball game, uh, that'll be on some big screen TV so we can watch the whole thing.
0: I, I want to put a camera in the room and just get a feed for to show people you guys working. That's We don't need audio. We just want <laughs> this, the visual of you guys in that
5: insanity. That'd be fun that's probably not a pretty picture I can
0: to be honest with you what you can't see behind the ca- off the camera here isn't a pretty picture either so I get it
5: <laughs> by the end of, by the end of that first day on Friday night that's uh, that's not a pretty picture no, I'm sure it's them. not
0: especially if you got West Coast games
5: yeah, absolutely.
0: Hey, sir. Really appreciate the time. Great insight. I hope other people learn from it as well. Uh, door is always open. Should you ever want to come on and talk, uh, or, or bring something to the table, please know that we are always here for you. We love it. Uh, I find it fascinating and I'm glad D3 went in this direction. I'm really looking forward to when we can get back together in Vegas. What people don't realize is you and I had talked about having you on a game that we're broadcasting so we can kind of quiz you a little bit, or you can educate us, but we'll work on that for the future. In the meantime, we always give the guests the final word. Any final thoughts you want to share with those tuned in? David, thank you for what for what you
5: do for D3 Hoops. You're terrific at what you do. Uh, we appreciate what you do for officiating. Uh, we're all on the same page trying to make our student-athlete experience the best that it can be. And uh, as long as we keep striving to do that, I think we've got a, a, a great path to go down. I
0: appreciate so that. Appreciate- I
5: don't think the guys who
0: had the women's ball appreciate me much. I saw one the next game, and uh- – we gave him a hard time. I don't think he liked me that much, but it was fun <laughs> for me. <laughs> hey, Jim, take care of yourself. Rest up and your and your health stuff uh, as one who went through it myself. I wish you nothing but the best and I look forward to talking to you down the road.
5: See you in Fort Wayne, David. Thank Definitely.
0: you. take care. Jim Haney joining us on the Blue Frame Technology Hoopsville Hotline. Great conversation. Loved having him on. Appreciate him taking the time to do so. When we come back, we're going to switch gears, go all the way out West. Talk to Fred Hogan. Fred Hogan. Fred Rogan. Oh, Fred, I apologize. Fred Rogan's going to be on the show. If you don't know who Fred Rogan is, you've got time to go look him up while we get ready. He is a big-time NBC sports person out in L.A. His son plays Division three basketball. He tells us that entire story. He breaks down the Skyak in amazing ways, and he's got his own take on D3 stuff. He's educated, he's smart, and he's going to have you scratching your head on a few things, in my opinion. It was an awesome conversation I got to have with him on what is an absolutely bonkers few weeks for him. I appreciate him getting the time to do so. He joins us next. You're listening to Hoop presented by D3Hoops.com from the NABC studios. Thanks to our partners at Blue Frame Technology. While we've gotten an opportunity, we should absolutely mention the NABC and their support. National Association of Basketball Coaches works to further bu- the best interests of the game of basketball, the coaches and players who participate in the sport. The NABC thanks its nearly 5,000 co- uh, member coaches, including the many in Division Three, who impact our game for upholding the core values of leadership, advocacy, service, education, and inclusion. For more information on the NABC,
8: head to nabc.com. More in a bit.